message, a new sermon series. And uh, if you have been around church for any amount of time, you have heard statements like, you need to pray. Anybody ever been told that? Who has an issue and needs prayer, right? Make sure you take time to pray. Teach your children to pray. When is the next prayer meeting? It's emphasized. Any believer knows that prayer is important. If, if, if we're here and we're just like, hey, I'm supposed to convince you that prayer is important, I don't have to really take time to do that because chances are you're in a church facility midweek. I don't have to work hard to convince you that praying is important. Okay, I think that we would agree with that. The Bible states the necessity of prayer. And we often feel guilty when we hear a message about prayer because we all feel like we could do it more. So how do we approach this topic that is clearly biblical? We, we know we should do it. And the majority of us would readily admit that we don't do enough of it. And so I believe it's not just one thing I can say in this message or in this series that all of a sudden just completely turns your mind around and you go from like, I never talked to Jesus to tomorrow morning moving forward, you are a prayer warrior. I think it's a, a number of things that we're going to talk about and we're going to cover that uh, we're going to say, you know what, there's something in me that I want to take this journey. Because prayer is, is a journey, much like a, a human or a romantic relationship, and I'm going to talk about that here in a few minutes, but it takes time to develop commitment, relationship, trust, and yes, even intimacy. And so we're going to look at a number of things over the next several weeks, and I will readily admit, I'm reading a book, uh, it's called The Power of Prayer, um, or the book on prayer, I'm sorry, by Ken Gurley, Pastors in Texas. I suggest you read it, and uh, I'm, I'm, there's several things that inspired me, and so I might even grab a line or two right out of the book, and not, so I just, I'm giving them credit now, right up front, okay. And so uh, today, though, we're going to start with week number one on the power in personal prayer. And I want you to do something for me and for you right now. If you're watching online too, do the same thing, please. Um, I'm getting ready. Normally, I'm just very, I'm very politically correct in the way I try to approach the Word of God and in the ways that I'm going to say things. Tonight, um, I'm going to do my best, but every once in a while, What's in the word of God completely goes directly against what's in culture. So when that happens, I have to preach what the word of God, to preach the truth in love. But yet realizing that some of the things I say, maybe if you're here tonight, this could be, uh, could be offensive. Or maybe you're watching online and you're going, I don't agree with that. Honestly, I honestly don't even know if this sermon is going to last on social media. And if it doesn't, you can go to refugechurchonline.com and you can listen to it there. I'm not, I'm not looking to make waves here. I'm never just dealing with controversy just because I'm like, you know what, I'm bored. What's a controversial topic that I can deal with today just to keep people awake because it's hot outside? Like, that's not the way I'm going to do things. But when God lays something on my heart... Matter of fact, I wasn't really going to go into this. In this morning, I was in prayer, and God started to speak to me to where I had to stop what I was doing, go get my notes app, and begin to type out the things he was telling me to say. But with that, 
there's actually, to deal with some of these topics as a pastor in the 21st century, there's actually a, you feel a literal physical and spiritual resistance. Because what we're dealing with is very, very alive and strong. So, I want you right now to just extend a hand and say, God, speak to my pastor, speak through him. But also to pray for yourself to say, God, Lord, let me receive whatever it is that you want me to receive. If that's it, that's all. I, I'm not saying you have to, oh, follow me, follow my plan. No, that, that we're not some cult, okay? All I want you to do is just say, God, please help me to receive what you want me to receive. Jesus, we love you. God, your word is alive. It's powerful. But the things that we deal with in culture are also, are also powerful. And so God, but we know that the power, the true power is with you. So we're going to look into your word. But I pray for every man, woman, child who's here today watching online, maybe listening later. God, I pray that you would just speak with such power and authority. Lord, I know that you have all power and authority. But I'm a human being who's going to stand here and try to preach your word and speak about principles, Lord, that I, I can only do it with your anointing and power. So please help me. In Jesus' name, amen. And here's where we start. If you just expect me to say, you need to pray tomorrow, pray at this time, here's how you pray. We're going to get to some of these things. But before we begin to discuss the solution, we must first begin by looking at the problem or the need. Look around the United States of America right now. And I'm not here to bash the United States. Lord knows I still feel we live in the greatest country in the face of the world. And I'm thankful to be in the United States of America. But in just one generation, we have seen the most significant moral collapse in our country's history. The loosening of sexual morals of the 60s was profound. Now, I just want to go on, on record as letting you know I was not around in the 60s. Lately, my body, I've been feeling like I've been around in the 60s, but I have not. We've now observed in the past generation a 300% rise in illegitimate, illegitimate births or babies born out of wedlock. 50 million abortions in one generation. Now, we throw numbers around, and we don't really think, but can you try to process 50 million? I mean, like, we can't even wrap our brains around that. One in two marriages end in divorce. Collapsing of morals in music, media, and popular entertainment. Sometimes I go to the gym, and I'm still shocked. I'm shocked at what people say in the media for what they argue for and defend, but then what they sing about in their song and how completely contradictory those things are. And yes, now we are currently in what we call Pride Month. And God, Scripture says God, he, he literally says pride is something he hates. And honestly, homosexuality is being forced in our culture. Many major businesses are changing their logos to rainbows, and it's a ploy. 
to change the rainbow to make it a symbol of something that God does not accept when originally the rainbow was a symbol of the covenant or the promise of God. But like the devil, he tries to take things that God established and he wanted to be like God. So he says, I'm going to take something and I'm going to twist it to try to make it mine. Social media puts videos on the top of their major pages to the point where I have to watch every single thing that my kids say or watch or view because there's messages being pushed to them that I don't stand for. And now I know Pride Month, everything I've been seeing is the statement, love is love. The Bible says God is love. So 1 John 4, 7 and 8 talks about beloved, loveth love one another. And it says, for God is love. Love literally originates with God. He is where love emanates. He is the beginning point of love. So if anyone's going to understand love more than anything, it's going to be God because he is the starting point of love. And in his love, he lays out parameters, kind of like you would if you're a parent. No doubt your kids at some point have wanted to do something that you've said no to for their safety or you said no, there's parameters. That is outside the parameters of what my house and our home we allow and then they will say, but Billy does it, and Sue does it, and John does it. And you're like, what are you going to say? I don't care what Billy and Sue, I'm not their parent. As for me and my house, we're not only going to serve the Lord, we're going to do it this way. But they get to watch electronics, they get to play games, great. You're not their son. You're my son. You know, we're all, whoever's parents is like, oh, my Lord. We all say that. We all speak the same language. But God says, I'm love. Love originates with me. It emanates from me. I'm the source of love. So let me start to establish some things, parameters of this thing called love. Flesh will always desire things that are against the Bible and the will of God. It will always. Always. It will always be that way. I'm sorry. Can you bring up last minute? Galatians or uh, da, 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 Galatians 6, I think. 19. Sorry. New Living Translation, please. Galatians 6, 19. I wasn't joking when I said God gave me this this morning. So, um, Flesh will always desire things that are against the will of God, the plan of God. I don't care how long you live for God, you're spirit-filled, you pray every day. Like, there's going to be things that your body, your mind, your heart, all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. No matter what, you're going to battle things. Yes, we're supposed to live dead to sin. But in this human flesh, there are going to be things that, that battle. And so, am I in the right place? 19. Go to 19. 519? What's, what's in 619? That? Go to 519. Okay, I knew I was close. Go to 519. See what happens? This is why I like to be prepared. God gives me things last minute. I'm like, God, come on. You could have gave me this earlier. All right. So when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Keep going. 
idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, verse 21. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So guess what? As a preacher, I've dealt with some of the things on this list. Thank God for grace. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God that we can be forgiven and sins washed away. But I don't know why there's such a taboo and and preachers in the 21st century are facing such tension and and just even in the church setting. I'm not even talking about going to the corner and grabbing a megaphone. In the church setting, we're facing a taboo. I could get up and preach about staying away from drugs or wild parties or outbursts of anger. And everybody's like, amen, amen. And then I say, and God, is a, he's, he's not for homosexuality. And everybody's like, it's dead silent. Because it's such a cultural more. It's, not just, it's such, a, such a tense topic right now, especially in Pride Month. I'm going to preach on everything on the list because scripture deals with every single one. So I'm not focusing on one thing and saying, well, this is bigger than this. No, all of that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm going to preach against all of that because I want all of us to inherit the kingdom of God. And so, flesh, we're going to deal with things that contradict what God's plan is for our lives. Now, every human will decide whether God is right or whether mainstream media and cultural views are right. I can't make that decision for you, but what God has called me to do is to stand in a public place and proclaim his word, and then you make decisions when you leave about whether or not you're going to come back, which I pray to God you do. I hope you can join our live stream again. I hope I don't lose anybody in the church, but I can't let that threat of that dictate me from speaking what God's word says. So when someone says, what if someone says, I, I, I know this is hypothetical, and maybe it's not even good logic, but I want you to think. What if someone says, love is love, so I love another woman other than my wife. I look at her, I love her, but you know, there's, other, there's three other women, too, that I really love. I mean, they're gorgeous, and they treat me nice, and they're a big fan of mine, so I want to sleep with those three women, too, not just my wife. Love is love. We know that sounds preposterous, even in today's society, for now. You say, no, that's adultery. The Bible speaks against that. We better have a voice in something like that because, no, that's sin. What happens when adults say that they're attracted to children? Have you read an article about this yet? It's starting. The stuff that you say is insane and sick and disgusting, this used to be this way years ago. We say, and society says it's progressive. You can say that's crazy, but where does this end? If something is sin, then we must preach that it's sin. I love a dog. I don't want to be intimate with a dog or a horse. You know, we say, my Lord, this is just, what in the world? This just got really disgusting. No, Scripture says that's bestiality, that's sin. But love is love. 
And when someone wants to marry someone in their own gender, that doesn't mean that I hate them and that sin. I'm going to preach sin just like any other thing on the list. It says, I don't want anybody to miss heaven. But according to what scripture says, homosexuality is sin. It has nothing to do with me hating anybody. If, if anybody walks in and they're committing adultery, they're living a drunken life, going to wild parties, having outbursts of anger, guess where I'm going to save them a seat? Right next to me if they'll sit there. If they walk in and say, I live in a homosexual lifestyle, I'm currently married to my boyfriend, I'm a man, I'll say, man, it is so nice to meet you. Come on and have a seat. But I got to preach what the word is because it says these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. And so at what point do I say society is pushing a certain thing, a certain narrative where I say, I don't want my kids to be exposed to this narrative because everything right now in society is that is normal. But it's not the way God created. Right now, sleeping with a horse or a dog is not normal. An adult being sexually interested in a child, that's not normal. But if we continue on the pattern of thinking of what we can't help, what love is love, this is who we are, we can get into dangerous places where I think we already are that are against what God clearly lays out in his word. Side note. The people who champion free speech are the ones who probably will censor what I say tonight and mark it as hate speech. I don't see this message lasting on social media. So yeah, there's a problem. And it's one that we as the church, even as a preacher, I'm feeling this opposition because right now, there is such a spiritual stronghold in the month of June in the United States of America. And so we as a church have got to be willing to stand and say, it doesn't matter, it's not just that. It's sin in general. I'm not going to live with sin. I'm not going to let sin rule and reign in my mortal body. I don't want my kids to ever just think that sin's normal. And I deal with parents that say, well, well, we don't believe in that, but we watch it on the sitcoms and the, and the movies and we bring this stuff. Your child is not intelligent enough yet to say, well, we don't do this, but we watch it for entertainment because that's a trick there because now they're being raised with entertainment that says this is totally normal. I can't believe it sounds so preposterous, disgusting, perverted, sick. But if, if, if they started giving our kids entertainment that showed people being, being close and romantically involved with pets and animals, give it about 50 years. It would be normal. So we have to go, okay, God, there's a reason why. Your love, love is love. No, God is love. Love starts with him and emanates from him. That's it's, He's the starting point of love. So he has the right to set whatever parameters and things that he sets because he loves us. He says, I'm going to warn you, he, these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. These things will. Here's my plan for salvation. So he has the right to do that. Oh, you still follow that ancient book? Absolutely. And so our world needs prayer. Tonight, just as much as it ever has, 
ever at any point in human history. So this is more than just like, you should pray. Pray is important. You pray tomorrow. Pray, make sure you pray tomorrow. No, like there, it, there should be a, a weight, a burden on the church of the living God that says, God, now is the time to pray more than ever. I pray not only for the world that I live in, but I pray for the world which my children are going to grow up in. Because I pray for my children because they need to be able to stand strong and stand tall when the forces of evil try to make them feel like the oddball. It's incredible just in my short 40 years how what used to just be, you could talk about it. There's certain things that were like tense, but then you could just preach that and everybody would go, oh. And now even on a Pentecostal pulpit, you can preach something, there's just tension. I want my kids to grow up, oh, I'm an oddball. Society so strong in their views. Yeah, they are. But stand strong. The United States is seemingly following the path of Europe. Only 20% of American adults regularly attend church. Some 94% of churches have either plateaued or are declining. And only 6% of churches are actually growing. Thousands of churches are up for sale at any given moment in the United States. There's just no empty buildings in Liberty, but there are other places. <laughs> is this bleak? Yeah, yes, it is. It is. But is it hopeless? No way. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And that's why the Lord in the Old Testament... He spoke these words in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He said, if my people, are you his people? If my people. All the things we do, they're great. But if it, it's not just if my people go to praise team practice or have a mechanical bull at a party. You're like, we're going to do all those things. And that's all part of the culture of the church. And these are all great things. But he says, my house will be called the house of prayer. He says, if my people he does not say, look at the world, look at the sin, look at the, look at the perversion, look at this. No, he says, I'm, gonna talk, I'm, I'm talking to my people. The world's broken. The world's, there's a hole and there's no hope. Yeah, no, no, no. If my people who are called by my name, baptized in his name, right? Called by my name. If they will humble themselves and they will pray. If they will seek my face, then... Meaning that has to happen first. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And this is where I start with the problem tonight and, and a number of problems. Because first you have to understand our nation is in need of healing. And so he says, I, I'm willing to heal them, but where does it start? Well, if we could just get the, the United States Senate and the, and the House of Representatives and my president won. No, my president didn't. Well, what about the vice president? Well, what about a new person? Well, who's going to run in four years? He does not deal with that. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and if they will pray, I'm not only going to forgive them, I'm going to heal the land. Our land needs healing tonight. We can talk about prayer, but if we don't pray, 
We stay the same. We can read about prayer. If we don't pray, we stay the same. We can hear messages about prayer. But if we don't pray, we stay the same. Certainly, we cannot earn God's favor by actions or works. But scripture clearly states the rewards of seeking God. Hebrews tells us, 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Oh, are you saying you can earn favors? No. But it's just like, again, being a parent, that child, it's always like, oh, mom, dad, you're beautiful, mom. Can I help you with anything? You're like, you can tell your kids all day long, we don't have favorites in this house. You are, I love you all the same. But some little kid comes up and starts helping you with things, telling you you're beautiful. You know your heart's going, oh, I'm a rewarder of those. <laughs> Who diligently compliment me and help me and do whatever. <laughs> no. Right now, I believe part of the reason we're seeing a decline in morality of society, a decline in the number of churches and church growth, and a rise of divorce, abortion, and sexual perversion is because the children of God are not following the guidelines set forth by the word. And that is humbling themselves, praying, and diligently seeking the face of God. Now we're seeing a rise in prayerless churches, prayerless homes, prayerless parents, prayerless children. Prayerless preachers, prayerless singers, prayerless musicians, prayerless volunteers, prayerless teachers. And honestly, why would people pray? If prayer is simply to get answers, today we can get whatever answers we want. Hey Siri. We can get whatever answers we want. Or hey, Google. I like that lady that was going around the video internet sensation. Hey, Google. Hey, Google. If you guys have not seen that, I just did you a favor for some entertainment that you can look at before bed tonight. Hey, Google. Seeking. See, we don't have, if we're looking for answers, I can just grab the phone. Hey, Siri, go to Google. I can do this because in a split second, I can know anything on the internet. If prayer is simply to get answers, then we can, we, we can go to these other resources. Seeking God, though, takes time and patience. Google does not. I don't want to wait for answers from Google. If, if my internet speed's slow, I'm, come on, piece of junk phone. Is wrong. What's wrong with the internet signal? Like, we get frustrated, and we do the exact same thing with God. Man, I've been praying about this for two and a half weeks. It's so ridiculous. I guess, God's not speaking. I guess I just need to do something. I don't ever want to just be a church that does all these other things and we lose our passion for prayer and we lose our passion. This is why we continue to push and protect the atmosphere of prayer after each service. This is why sometimes we get up in a prayer meeting on full church prayer and say, guys, we got to be aware. We, hey, I know we got a small foyer. Let's make it work. Don't just stand around when people are sitting and kneeling and praying. Don't just, just, don't just chat and laugh. We got to be aware of the people. If you're not feeling anything, if you're not going to respond, if you're not going to push through, then step out. Just it's fine to, hey, hi, greet somebody. But if we're going to have an extended conversation, laughing and talking and chatting. Don't do it when next to somebody's praying. 
The world is changing because the church is changing. But we're called to be salt and light. And I never want to be like the, the ten virgins of Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven was like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish, they didn't take enough olive oil. They didn't have enough oil in their lamps. They're getting ready to go to a wedding. But they didn't have enough oil, which in the, the, the Bible, oil was a type and shadow of God's spirit in filling them. And they, they, they didn't have enough in, in the church as the bride of Christ. So here these people are getting ready for the bridegroom, and they didn't have enough of his spirit to take them through to the end. At midnight, they were roused and said, look, the bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, all ten of them. They prepared their lambs. But the five foolish ones asked the other, hey, could you give us some of your oil? We don't have enough. Our lamps are gone out. And the others replied, no, we don't have enough for all of us. Go stop by a shop, get some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to meet him at the marriage feast. And Jesus is telling the story, but it's definitely a parable pointing to, hey, I'm getting ready to come back for my people. And if you're not ready when I come, you're going to miss it. Five bridesmaids stood out and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Kind of like Noah, doesn't it sound similar? He says, so you two, you got to keep watch. The great 1800s preacher named Charles Spurgeon said, my own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe. That it has a more omnipotent force than electricity attraction, gravitation, or any other of those secret forces which men have called by name but do not understand. And the great author and minister named E.M. Bounds said, the more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. American evangelist, pastor, writer, and educator R.A. Torrey said, there have been revivals without much preaching, but there has never been a mighty revival without mighty prayer. Honestly, I don't expect the world to be a praying world and a praying people. That's why God doesn't deal with the world. He does not say, if we could get a new leader, if Nero would get off the throne, if we could get a new, a new vote in, if we could just change the culture of Jerusalem. He just says, if my people, let's talk about my people. You can't change everything else, but you can change you. And that's why I love that God does not say, well, if you vote, if you go out here, we need to hope that somebody gets in there. We need to hope that they change policies. We need to hope that they change the schools. No, he just says, if my people will humble themselves, if they will turn from their wicked ways and they will begin to pray, I will heal the land like nothing else can if my people will pray. You see, in the Old Testament, God did his party, lit the altars on fire, but then the men had to come, and they were responsible to keep the fires ablaze. How do we make sure that the fires just keep burning? We have to do so by consistently seeking the face of God. I've been talking all about fireplaces. I feel like every message has something about a fireplace in it, and now it's 93 out, and we're still talking about fireplaces, but you got to rotate the wood, you know, you, you get more wood on it, you keep the oxygen going through the fire. That same way, we got to stay at, uh, pay attention to the, that Holy Ghost fire, that spirit that's lit inside of us, and say, you know what, how do I keep adding to it? I don't want to just coast, and then all of a sudden you just go to, oh man, the fire went out. No, no, I want to I want to rotate the log. I want to get another log in there. I want to keep fanning the flame, like, like Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. That meant to fan again the flame of what was once there. 
The breath of God is what gave us this initial existence when he formed man and from the dust of the ground and then created a woman and then they, they fell and they sinned. But then look at Genesis 3, 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Next one, 3, 8. And it says, and his, Adam and his wife hid in the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. In spite of their sin, we see the approach of God to humankind in this verse, God is a, is a walking voice. He walked with humankind in the garden. And to this day, God each, he gives each of us an invitation to come and walk with him and to hear his voice. We just finished that series in the beginning, and that is his plan. This was in the beginning, and it still is now. He still looks at his people, and he says, I want to talk with you and walk with you. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to recognize my voice. God still speaks today. Well, he doesn't. I wish he'd speak to me. If God is not speaking to you, I don't know your situation, but can I offer you just four theories as to why you might not be hearing him. Number one, he sees we are not quite ready to hear him. Two, he's already spoken to us about the situation, but we're not listening or responding. Drives me crazy when someone comes in and says, Pastor, can I talk to you again? And it's the third time we've talked. And I said, well, do you remember when I told you the first two times? Have you done those things? No, I haven't. Then why are we talking for a third time? God, I pray, just give me a fresh revelation, something I've never heard before, God. I just wonder if God's ever like, you still haven't listened to the last thing that I gave you. So it's not time for fresh revelation yet. That's why I say, when people say, oh, I'm just praying about being baptized, why? There is literally no need to pray about being baptized. He already put in his word that he wants to wash away our sins. It's his will for your life. There's nothing to pray about when the Bible speaks clearly. He's been testing us, which he does throughout scripture, or he wants to remind us that he's God. God speaks in a number of different ways, and we see scripture for every one of these. I could go, I told my wife, I said, I can't do a 27-week series on prayer, but I could. But I won't. Not that it's not important, but I know I'd lose you after like week four for sure. But God speaks in a number of different ways, and we see scripture for every one of them. Number one, natural phenomena. The, the heavens declare his handiwork. Just natural phenomena. We see that God speaks in a sunrise, sunset, sunrise. It's faithful. We just see God. His word, of course. Judgment. Yes, he even speaks in judgment. Miracles. Impressions, God impressed on me, God spoke to me, God dealt with me. Maybe you didn't hear an audible voice, but there's something that you felt in your heart. Like today, this morning, I did God, I wish he would have showed up and said, Gary, hello. That would have been awesome. But he didn't. I was praying and I just felt him just start to lay things on my heart that I was like, oh, that's cool. And then he wouldn't leave me alone. I had to go get a phone and start to type on my notes app and, and just, because he was, he was impressing things upon me. Circumstances, God uses circumstances to speak to us, and then his audible voice, which I've never heard yet, and I'm jealous if you have, and I'll pray for you later. But he wants to speak to us. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But if you're wanting to have a clear-cut formula for how your relationship with God will go, then you are not going to enjoy it very much. 
That's simply the way relationships transpire. Think about an earthly relationship. Imagine going on a first date with a man or a woman that you have been interested in, and you sit down on your first date. I take my wife on her first date. Before we're married, we're dating. Let's go on our first date. And I said, all right, Jackie, so what's the plan here? She just kind of looks at me. I said, well, are we going to agree to a committed relationship after three dates or four dates? I kind of want a ballpark figure. And, and then as long as we're talking about this, what's the anticipated time frame before we discuss marriage? Is it is three months? Is it six months? Because I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I don't want to do things too soon. So if you could kind of lay it out for me. And then as far as kids, should we plan on about a year after marriage or should we wait longer? How does that, how does that work? If you are doing that on first dates <laughs> and you're single... I just might have given you a revelatory word as to why you're single. Because relationships are a journey. I've now been married for 14 years. I pray to God that was right. Because that wasn't in my notes. About to be 15, right? Relationships are a journey, and I'm taking a journey to the couch this evening. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so, uh, even after being married that long, I still, like, we know each other, and I know what you're thinking, but not all the time, every day. Sometimes she still surprises me, and I'm like, oh, that's such a surprise. And sometimes she still surprises me, and I'm like, <laughs> But it's a journey. And you know what? I wouldn't want to know, and I'm a structured planner, but I wouldn't want to know, like, what's the rest of the year look like for our journey of our relationship? It's a formula. You see, God invites us into a relationship, not a formula. And when we commit our lives to Christ, we must remember that he's the one in charge. We must trust him. Our lives must align with his principles, not the principles of what modern society is saying. Because I could say to my wife, well, you know, honey, you know, Keith and Lori were talking to me about their marriage. And Kevin and Leslie were talking to me. Chris and I and Pam and Raul, they were talking to me. And Jim and Teresa were talking about their marriages. And I just like, as I talked to them, I was thinking we should probably make some changes in our marriage because their marriage does this. Back to the couch for me. <laughs> because why? Because it doesn't matter what society around me is saying. It's our marriage. And when God says, I'm love, here's the parameters. If you want to be the bride of Christ, I already paid the way. And I paid a price on Calvary for you to be a part of this bride. You can take on my name in the waters of baptism and be washed in the blood. I will fill you with my spirit. I will be, you will be my bride. But if you decide to live outside the parameters of this marriage covenant, then you've broken that. And so it doesn't matter what society is saying is normal. If I say in my word that it's sin, then I expect you to align with my word. Sounds fair to me. And so we must make time for him, communicate with him. But that's not only talk, but also listen. Listen. 
There's another revelatory word for some marriages. <laughs> we must be willing to move into the future knowing we don't know what the future holds yet. But there's a reason why I'm called the bride of Christ. God promises to be our guide, but he never promised to be the map. God promised to reveal the path, but he doesn't promise us the ready answer. God promises to mold us, but he never promises to give us a shortcut. And he calls his disciples for two reasons. And we see them in Mark 3.14. He ordained the twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach. Two reasons. He says he called the disciples for two reasons. That they should be with him, which is what? Relationship. And to send them out to preach, which is what? Ministry. God has called every one of us for two reasons. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to turn and minister to a lost and dying world. But if you remove either of those, you are an out-of-balance believer. Because there's a lot of people that just say, oh, yes, I'm in a relationship with God. And they never talk to anybody, never share faith, never share testimony, never invite anybody to church, never teach a Bible study, never, never bring somebody to a small group. And so that's unhealthy. But then there's others who are just, oh, yeah, ministry, ministry. All I do is pour myself into ministry. But we're pouring from an empty vessel because we're not in relationship with him. He says, I call my disciples for two reasons. I want them to be with me, be in relationship, and I want them to go preach and be a minister. We are all called for two distinct things with God, relationship and ministry, relationship and ministry. And as I close, if you're a guest here watching online, you're like, is that the way they decorate their church? <laughs> Would you say that these branches here are alive or dead? I don't know. I mean, like, did you want to get a closer look at one? or What do you think, alive or dead? Looks dead to you. How would you, how would you know? How would you know? Well, I'll, I'll remove the stress from your lives and tell you that this is, this is a dead branch. They say the way to test is to scrape and see if there's still, like, life underneath it. And another way, too, is if you grab, like, a tree branch, you start to bend it, it's very pliable. This one, yeah. That's pretty dry. Pretty dry. It's been, it's been disconnected from the root system for quite some time. It didn't get here overnight. It's been disconnected from the root system for quite some time. This means that it's been a long time since it has received life-giving nutrients that would keep it alive and thriving. So for now, it's dried up and it would probably make good firewood. 
Isn't it interesting that Jesus compared his followers to a branch of a tree? John 15, he says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit, which is what he calls the disciples to do, right? Be with me and preach and minister. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in me, unless what? You're connected to the life-giving source. He says, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered in a pile. be burned. It's no exaggeration to say that prayerlessness, and I'm closing, it's no exaggeration to say that prayerlessness is the root of almost all of life's failures. You're not going to talk to a lot of people who, man, they fell into adultery. Oh, but it was so weird because I had been praying for three hours a day for months leading up to that moment. You're not going to talk to a lot of people who have relapses into sin and, and addictive things where they're like, man, every single day I was just in the Word. And I was just, man, there was like an hour every day that I was just praying and hearing from God. It was powerful. And then I just went out. And I got done with that prayer meeting and I went out and I bought drugs. You're not going to hear that. Prayerlessness is the root of almost all of life's failures. Without prayer, We're severed from the nutrients. We're severed from the growth, from being sustained, from the power. We're like a branch that's been cut off from the vine, left to wither. And then that passage we just read, Jesus said, you can't do nothing without me. That doesn't just mean we won't get stellar grades, enjoy victory and cheering for our athletic teams, or get the promotion that we've been working for. It's a whole lot more than that. I need to be connected to the, to the vine just to even be able to stand in the last days and stand for righteousness. Scripture says that when we disconnect from our source and we stand, we start to exist all alone. We start to dry up and get brittle. here's the incredible thing. He was talking to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and he tells them at one point that I have grafted you into the tree. I don't know about you, but when my trees in my yard start to die, this is from a tree in my yard, I can't be like, 
Honey, how do, give me that screwdriver. Wonderful. Tomorrow there'll be life back in it. We expect our prayer life to go like that, though. Well, I prayed yesterday, tomorrow morning. I still didn't really feel, didn't really feel, uh, really didn't feel much. It's going to take some time. If you're dried up and withered, the beauty is God's powerful enough to actually graft you back into the tree. And it's just a matter of time before the nutrients start to flow and life comes back to a dry branch. But prayerlessness doesn't just result in a life without blessing. Based on that, it results in an eternity without your creator. So let's not just talk about sin like, these sins we won't inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the way a lot of people view church. I'm on to something here as I close. That's the way a lot of people view church. It's the place with all the rules. And don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. If you want to go to heaven, don't do that, 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 that. You know what the key to making heaven your home is not to go through the checklists of what he lays out, but to realize I can't go to heaven without being a man of prayer. That you know what? It's about relationship. It's not about the list because if I'm grafted into the tree, you don't have to spend much time on that list because that's not a list that I want to be a part of. It's not anything about that list. It's about the fact that when I'm grafted into the tree, I can hear the voice of my Savior, the one who took on flesh, died on a cross, shed his blood for me. He filled me with this spirit. He washed away my sins. He said, I want to know you in spite of your faults and failures. I want to be in relationship with you. Like Adam and Eve, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to hear mine. That's the power of prayer. So if I want to make a difference in this last day, it's not about the checklist. It's just about me saying, God, help me to stay connected to the vine. God, if you've called me to be with you and to preach and to minister, then God, I know I need to stay connected to the vine. Lord, if you want to heal my land, I know I got to stay connected to the vine. I know, God, that if you're going to make a difference in the 21st century, in the community that I live, in the people that I interact with, it's I got to stay connected to the vine. And so right now I invite you, doesn't matter how dry and brittle you are, find a place to pray. The altars are open. And just find a place where you can take that, that dry and, and brittle part of your life and say, God, help me to get back connected to you. Help me to get back grafted into the tree, back into the vine, God. Jesus, and help me. I want to be a man who knows the urgency of the hour. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to humble myself. I want to repent. I want to pray for my nation. I want to turn from my wicked ways. God, because I want you not only to help me to make heaven my home, but God, I want to see you heal my land. I want to see you heal this land that we're a part of. In Jesus' name. Today 